Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to our podcast, Med Family. I am the host, Eric Acker. I'm getting with Karen. Hey, guys. Lovely wife and assistant. No show notes again <laughs> for another week in a row. We are, of course, recording a day late, later than usual. Uh... I think Karen put out something on the Instagram saying that we're a little tied up in surgery this week. Yeah, it's not a bad thing, but it's been a busy rotation for you. Yeah, it's been been, been fun so far. Uh, I mean, I, I started out slow with basically having almost half a week off, and now we're really in the swing of surgery and what that entails. And it has a lot of humbling moments and... It kind of takes you back to like my first week with Dr. Lomboy in internal medicine. It's a very different kind of taking back. Like in internal medicine, it was more of an intellectual deficiency. Like, oh, I just don't know the answer to that question, and I probably should know that answer. And now it's less of like I don't, I don't, I'm not missing questions on pathology. I just don't know how to do things. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to behave or something like that. Like, and it's it's very tricky, very difficult. Like the clinical side, it's actually kind of interesting. It's kind of a flip. Um, I tend to do better in the clinical side of things in this rotation than I do in the OR side of things. So it's been a it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you are learning things. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, today he was showing me that he was holding his. My, my preceptor has a what different, they? uh, they're drivers, I think is what they're called. Okay. Needle drivers. So when we're doing suturing, we're all taught very different things of how to hold the needle drivers. And one of the things that has been a recurring theme whenever I practice is, wow, this feels really awkward or wow, this really hurts my wrist. So essentially I just felt like every time I would even practice, I couldn't get the right angle to get a good bite. And that was uh, relatively true today during surgery. So in the last case, our precept, the last two cases, our preceptor allowed us to do a stitch. And <laughs> silence very minuscule because it is. It's like nothing. So we were doing some kind of robotic, uh, robotic approach. So it was just like these little tiny slits that are maybe two, three centimeters wide. And so you just got to throw a stitch in there and close it up. And... I think my uh, partner, Chris, he had the first go of it, and um, I don't think he was uh, successful. Uh, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus or anything, but because I was definitely not successful in my attempt either, because uh, he just, he's doing three or two, in my case, he was doing two other uh, access ports. He was closing those up, and by the time he gets those done, he looks at me, and I still haven't even gotten half a stitch done. He, Looks at how I'm approaching the, the second half of it and goes, nope. <laughs> That's his way of saying, you're doing it wrong, get out, or get, you're done. And so he showed me how to hold, how he would like me to hold the needle driver. And it was actually, it seems kind of handy because it's basically 
you hold it by not putting your hands in the loops and you use your you just kind of use your grip and your um, your thumb for lack of a the anatomical term uh, use your thumb to open and close the locking mechanism and use the rest of the hand to hold it like a pencil kind of and you then will have 360 complete 360 access to turning it instead of being limited so it's uh, it's it's really kind of a neat trick that he showed, but it's also a very humbling moment when you're sitting there struggling for, I don't know, five ten minutes. Uh, in my case, it was probably I felt it was like two to two to five minutes struggling to get a stitch done, and having them comment that do you want me to bring the table up higher, because I keep I have a tendency to get my face closer to things, and that's not what you should be doing in surgery because apparently from your shoulders up is not sterile so uh, anyway I, I i failed epically at it but at least he didn't i think the phrase probably still was applicable he he on my partner's attempt he just said what do you when you go home who do you who do you talk to about all your 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 medical rotations and whatnot and he gave his answer. He's like, okay, well, then you go home tonight and you tell him you failed at, at everything. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. That, that's just, like, I guess, our preceptor. He's a, he's a little bit more uh, straight and to the point. And so I don't think he really means any harm by it, but I think he likes to kind of point out that we're not, we're not good at one week in. So... <laughs> But we, you know, we learned we learned some lessons. It's, it's just that sort of stuff. We're even scrubbing in and getting gowned up is a whole process, and not doing it. I think about my first surgery. I think midway through, I dropped my arms to my side for just one second, and I realized what I did and brought them back up. And immediately, the scrub tech knew exactly what I did. Like they are watching you like a hawk, and even today. I was looking behind me to see if I was going to bump into something and in the process I moved my hands up a little bit higher to kind of I guess counterbalance and the scrub tech was like I turned around and she's like staring at me and she's like I thought you were like going to try to adjust your glasses or something like I don't I don't wear glasses but okay <laughs> and you can just tell every now and then you can you can catch them watching you and I think it's partly because they just they're used to students and they know students screw up and they some of them I think more relish the opportunity to yell at you uh, <laughs> we haven't been yelled at yet we've just been told very sternly about different things and sometimes like you get I don't know I, I think three times now my preceptor has been like you're getting too close and it's like I feel like I'm like two three feet away from the table I'm not that close but alright I'll back up like, so it's just those sort of things when you're because in the operating room, at least this one for sure, anything blue is sterile and you're not supposed to be close to it, which is fine. It's all, you know, fine and dandy, but it's very frustrating. And then when you're in the middle of the surgery, like they, they when you're scrubbed in and you're next to the surgeon or you're next to the primary assist and they're like handing tools back and forth and they're doing like they're helping them. They have the hand and like we did a few open procedures where we pulling the entire intestines basically out of the abdominal cavity and running through it and like the first assist knows exactly what needs to be done like oh he's looking over here I'll move everything over here he's do oh he he immediately went to the 
this the the right side i'll move everything to the you know, the left like he immediately knows exactly what to do and you're just sitting there like derp <laughs> i have no idea what you're doing i don't know how to help you and then the communication isn't i feel like communication isn't a really strong suit in the surgical suite which you would think it would be a lot more you would think that communication would be a lot better in the surgical suite because everyone has mask on and Everyone uh, is trying to make sure that it goes smoothly and well, but like everyone is kind of well oiled that they can use shorthand, they can mutter something, and everyone knows exactly what needs to happen. And so it's it's very hard. Like, the learning curve is like very steep. Of like I don't even know what's going on, and and most of the time you're staring at this like what looks like a big octopus that just came out of someone's stomach. Like, it's a bunch of little tentacles all over the place and yellow with yellow chunks, which are basically fat. And you're just like, I, and I'm pretty sure that's the small intestine. Yeah, that's the small intestine. And then he, like, starts cutting stuff, and you're like, oh, he just removed a big chunk of the small intestine. Yeah, I know exactly what's going on. And then he, he removes the thing out of the... He moves the I was gonna say tentacle. <laughs> he moves the intestine out of the the abdominal cavity and hands it over to one of the circulator, and he says sigmoid colon. <laughs> Just like, well, that doesn't look anything like a sigmoid. <laughs> so it's a it's a steep learning curve for sure. Uh, yeah. So, what has been your most interesting surgery so far? Ooh. It's hard to say, because on Monday we had like nine colonoscopies, and there's no way I'm ever going to say colonoscopies are interesting. Um, hmm. I would probably say our, we had we had a bowel obstruction, I think, is what we were dealing with. No, it was a, sorry, it was a perforated bowel. That was the open um, laparotomy. And so we went in, and that's when we removed the sigmoid colon. It just was very confusing because I just had no idea orientation of what I was looking at and what, I, I, like, order of operations. I don't know what he's doing. Um, whereas other surgeries I've sat in on, I understand, okay, we're dissecting down to this point. We're making these cuts. Like, I, I've watched a lot of orthopedic surgery. I've watched a few general surgery, surgeries, and general surgery just seems very confusing to me because I don't, I don't quite understand order of operations like even today's last surgery that we did where he was doing a hernia repair and he was placing these mesh things in and I was like I don't understand what he's doing he's you know, like he separated uh, the peritoneal uh, avantasia from the abdominal wall and basically he was making sure the tissue was separated and like he kept kind of kept doing it <laughs> at some point I was like I feel like that seems sufficient or like I, I feel like you wouldn't need to do that obviously I'm not a general surgeon I have no idea what I'm talking about but um yeah I would say probably the open laparoscopic procedure was the most interesting just because there was a lot of anatomy you could see and it was open you didn't have to look over someone's shoulder you didn't have to see it on a tv screen so that was kind of cool the we've had a few we've had a quite a few um robot-assisted laparoscopic procedures with the Da Vinci robot, and those are pretty cool. I had initially, my experience with robots was the macoplasty robot in orthopedics, and that kind of seemed gimmicky to me. And then I had watched a few 
laparoscopic procedures for uh, cholecystectomy, uh, we removed the gallbladder when, before I went into medical school, and they were, they were using it uh, with the ports and everything. And the robot is essentially that, but you use the robot to move the uh, trocars and whatnot. So I can see the benefit to the uh, Da Vinci robot. I was, I was skeptical coming into the rotation about whether that would be more gimmicky than whatnot, but I can see where it's beneficial. Plus, like, the surgeon gets to sit down for, like, an hour <laughs> of the procedure as opposed to standing the entire time, which is probably the other hard thing that I'm, I'm coming up against, is, which just sounds really pathetic. But standing there with your arms parched up like a dinosaur, the entire, like a T-Rex the entire time. You're ridiculous. <laughs> but the other benefit to the Da Vinci robot is like the incisions are significantly smaller. So is the recovery time less as well? well? Yeah, but it would be the incisions would be the same as if you had a laparoscopic procedure. Yeah, but not if not an open procedure. Right. I don't I don't know how long it's been since they've done a complete open. But they did do if they do do an open procedure, recovery time is a lot longer. But in these cases, I think recovery time is like maybe one, two weeks, something like that. It's really quick. And thankfully, the gallbladder is relatively easily accessible, apparently. And it's not too bad to go in there, remove it from the the inferior portion of the liver, and then put a few staples in and ligate and cauterize the cystic artery and cut it off and yank it through the abdomen. So Some of them may be more... I don't know if people would actually appreciate seeing this, but hearing about it, but like when you have these little tiny incisions, like they're again, maybe like from the tip of your, your index finger to your first knuckle, maybe a little bit longer. And then they're taking a gallbladder and trying to shove it through or pull it through that tiny little hole. And it's, I don't know if you can picture this, but like, you, you imagine, like, because they, they basically put a bag in there and they drop the gallbladder into the bag and then they try to pull it through that hole so you don't lose the gallbladder or parts of it inside the abdomen. And you're just, like, you're just watching someone yank on it and just, like, imagine, like, pinching your sheet and then pulling up. And that's what the abdomen looks like. It's like this, <laughs> like, your, your abdomen is just being, like, stretched way, way out as they're, like yanking on this bag <laughs> trying to pull it out it's well a, i feel like a lot of surgeries a little bit more violent than i expected it to be <laughs> i feel like a lot of surgery is fairly violent like if you think of anything with like bones and whatnot they're like Hammering, they're, they have yes <laughs> yes saws yeah it but i wasn't expecting i guess general surgery to be, surgery to be as violent i guess it's not terribly violent but it's definitely like Come on, get out, get out, get out. <laughs> it's definitely an interesting uh, thing to see. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. But it, again, there's a lot of times when you... Because there's a lot of the cases we do with robotics, there's only really enough room for one of us to scrub in and be of some kind of help. So one of us is kind of just sitting around watching, and the other one is scrubbed in and generally watching. Because uh, we're not very efficient, we're not very quick, and we don't know the tools. And usually, with the robotic-assisted ones, like the only thing that we can do is trade out arms. But because like we don't know what one arm is versus the other, we can't just be like, here, grab this one, put it in. 
usually the the first assist is there and doing it in a much more efficient manner than we would ever do. Uh, we I was able to do a few of them, but like that was with one of the first assists that I think takes a lot of pity on medical students and helps us out. But it there's a lot of waiting in surgery, and which makes me think, which makes you think that maybe I have time to do a lot of questions, which is not particularly true. I have usually I can get from my inky cards during my wait time. Otherwise, we we do our surgery hour and a half, two hours each, and we finish up, talk to the next patient, talk to the family, uh, and then sit and wait till the OR calls us again and kind of keep rotating. So it's, it's been a, quite a rotation. And today we're, we're on call technically. So I think last week I was on call Monday, I think. Mm-hmm. And so we're on call again today. So what's that? My phone is on loud. So hopefully if I hear anything, I, I will, hopefully I will hear a phone call and have to go in. But we've had one We've only had at least one or two. We had two, I think, today uh, during during the course of the day. During in between surgeries, we would go out and talk to patients. And like I said, I think I'm getting better on the clinical side of things. Like I, he sent me out to go examine uh, this one lady who had came in, and I I did my physical exam. I read the notes that was in there, and that's another thing you don't really realize is. But the notes are kind of subpar. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I'm not trying to drag on any any provider out there that's doing notes. But like you're, as you do these rotations, you're kind of come to realize that there's a lot of notes that are either in the draft level where like they're still making the note, so it's not the complete note, and you're just kind of going off of very little information. And then there's some, some notes that are like, okay, nice job, giving me three sentences for the HPI. Uh, I could could use a little bit more information. Uh, could be nice to have a little bit more detail here, but okay, I understand. Maybe you you you're pressed for time or whatever. And ED notes are kind of notoriously bad. Well, they're trying to get people through. Yeah, it's they're they're not good. Um, and maybe this maybe this is just this ED. <laughs> I don't know, but they're just not. The, they haven't been the best so far, and it's been it's been frustrating. I oh. Usually, and this is this might sound bad. No offense to any of those people out there going into emergency medicine, but generally speaking, if I see I have an admit that is being admitted to the floor, and I see that there's an emergency medicine note, and then I see that the hospitalist has done a history and physical, I look at the history and physical. I just never look at the ED note because, frankly, it's usually just like three sentences and not very helpful. And it's confusing. It's not well organized. <laughs> it's like you don't really get the sense like, and like there's almost no plan. Like sometimes they don't even have like a plan outlined, and it's it's just very frustrating. So like if you you find the hospitalist note, at least the hospitalist has got like a paragraph of history and physical that they've written up, and so you have a, a general idea of what's going on. Well, but the emergency room doesn't necessarily. That's not necessarily their job. Yes, it is. To make a plan. Documentation is their job. No, no, no. But, (laughs) (laughs) yes. I mean, the the plan could, I mean, the plan's like, hey, we're admitting this patient to the floor for a suspected, you know, give me three possible differential diagnosis, and we are consulting these services. Like, that would be helpful. Okay, fair. I don't have to dig through, like, this... uh, this but very like, interesting medical record system to find where the orders are. <laughs> <laughs> just from my experience sitting in an emergency room, like, 
you sit there for forever. They're trying to tr- turn people over. I get that. So but, I, mean, I can I can but, sympathize. But on the other end, someone has to render the actual care. I know. I mean, emergency medicine, and I'm not trying to... They, they do good work, but their job is to stabilize you people and get them on to other healthcare professionals who are going to take them the rest of the way. But the other health, medical health professionals can't do their job if they don't know what's going on. And so in this particular case, I, re- I read the admitting note. It was not an ED note. Um, so it was relatively decent, but it was definitely obviously geared uh, to the specialty that was admitting. <laughs> and so I, I read the note, and I, I did not see the imaging studies before I went. And I don't know if they were already dictated. I think they were, I think because Chris mentioned them. So I went and saw the patient, did a physical exam, came back, j- joined joined um, Chris and my preceptor in surgery, and I was just kind of going through it with Chris, and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's, it's a cholelithiasis. They got they got a gallbladder uh, with, with uh, gallstones that are, are obstructing it. Pretty sure that's what it is, and. Chris is like, okay, what did you, did you see the uh, ultrasound? And it's like, there was an ultrasound? <laughs> it, and I mean, it was, it was nice. It was like, I did a physical exam that matched the ultrasound findings. So it's like, okay, that's good. That's good. I, I, I left the physical exam suspecting it was gallstones. Imaging confirms it's gallstones. Now it's up to the surgeon to concur that whether or not I'm off the reservation or what. And so that we're going to take care of that one tomorrow, it sounds like. At least it's nice to know that you can go into a room and figure out. You can work, have a, working different, a couple of working differentials after talking to the patient for a little bit, do a quick physical exam, and then be like, I'm pretty sure it's... I don't know what I did next was appropriate or not, but I, I ended up telling the patient, like, this, these are the things I'm working on in my head. This is what I think it might be. Uh, this is what, what I'm seeing from the physical exam. But, you know, keep, keep in mind I'm a third-year medical student, so I could know nothing, and it could be nothing altogether. And I'm going to talk to the surgeon, and he'll be by it later, and we'll talk about it. I don't know if that helps. I don't know if it's ter- terrorizing the patient to be like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I have gallstones. What does that mean? Am I, am I going to die? Because in my differential, and for those out there, just yeah, you got to bear with me. The differential was appendicitis and gallstones, and of course there's muscle strain and a few other things down the line. And so, because of the patient uh, patient's uh, status, appendicitis seemed like a worthy diagnosis. Usually it will eventually settle after some time in the lower right quadrant, but upper quadrant pain can be appendicitis, as I have intimately experienced. Yes, Eric should be able to identify appendicitis in anyone as his first <laughs> because he refused to go. I, I am very jealous. Like you know that pe- people today, like if they have appendicitis, like they get it diagnosed, they get it removed through like again three small little sutures. Well, yours burst. And, and you waited too long. Yours burst. <laughs> you get three small little incisions, and you go home the same day. Again, you didn't have that procedure. Yours burst. They needed to clean y'all out. Yeah, I guess so. But you got a nice little scar from that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty long. 
Anyway, uh, it's been, again, uh, we've learned a lot during this rotation. I feel bad for Karen because it has meant a lot of early mornings for me. And then coming home late, later-ish. Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I get off early enough and I get home by 5. But then I generally have to look up tomorrow's schedule, tomorrow's patients, tomorrow's procedures, and get myself familiarized with them in case I get asked any questions. And it means a little bit less family time this week so far. So Yeah. Well, and to be fair, you have been told that this doctor, when he he wants to teach, he's really good at teaching, and when he wants to just get through surgery, he just gets through surgery kind of thing. So your experience this first week might be different than your experience, well, I guess this is your second week-ish. Yeah. (laughs) But it might be different than your experience next week, especially since... (laughs) It's been raining and thunderstorms here, and your preceptor is driving a motorcycle, so he might just not be in a happy place, right? No, so. <laughs> I don't think he's, he's generally like baseline is pretty grumpy, it seems like. So, imagine waking up early in the morning, getting into the hospital after driving 20 minutes in pouring rain. And then having to get off your motorcycle, go into the hospital, dry off, get changed, and then have to deal with two brand new medical students. And it's like, ah, oh, this has got to be annoying. I mean, we're not, me and Chris aren't particularly annoying. We got told to shut up. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember, was that, it was Monday, I that think. That was Monday. Yeah, we, it was like, I don't know, after the eighth colonoscopy, like, He's doing his thing. Me and Chris are watching the monitors. It's all you can do during a colonoscopy. And so we're just chatting in a low low tone. Like, it was, it was low. Like, I think only me and him could hear the conversation. But if you were in the room, you could probably hear us mum, you know, some murmuring between us. And I don't know, after like 10 minutes of that, he was like, you guys don't realize how annoying it is. To... <laughs> Come to find out now, like, he just hates listening to just about anyone else like he'll tolerate the nurses talking to each other i think but like if he he puts on music but if you sing to the music this hasn't happened to me um (laughs) but if you sing along to the music he gets a little annoyed goes no (laughs) he's like you can bob your head you cannot sing (laughs) i can't falter on that one i used to have a coworker (laughs) that would sing all the time and like she wasn't she wasn't bad, but my word, it got annoying after a while. It got really annoying, especially when she got, like, stuck on a certain song. Oh, no. You know, um, but it kind of leads to kind of fun moments. Like, in, in the with the robot, he's you can see this. You get the camera in the abdo- abdomen, and you have these two little arms that have, like, pinchers or scissors or whatever tools he's got attached to it. And somewhere along the way, he, he found a song that he thought, I guess, he kind of liked. And and all you can see is the two little pinchers going back and forth, back and forth. Like he wasn't even like he wasn't even cutting any tissue anymore. He wasn't like he was just like using the robot to dance inside the abdomen. Like it was it was kind of funny. I mean, it, there was no danger to the patient or anything like that. And he didn't go on for like twenty minutes, but it was just kind of a funny moment where I guess he took a moment to have some fun. And yeah, anyway. Uh, so no singing, no talking, apparently no chewing gum either. If you chew gum and he can hear it, that's going to drive him insane. So me and Chris don't talk much. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, it would also explain why maybe the first assist doesn't actually, like they just hand you things and don't really tell you what to do with it or what the doctor might want with that is because they know the doctor prefers quiet. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, the the first assist that is um, the more helpful one hasn't been around this last week. And so she'll be back next week, I think. But the, she, he will banter with other people. Like, if he's involved in the conversation, he's fine with it. But if he's not, then he's he's less fine with it. Yeah. So it's, it is what it is, right? Well, I mean, you guys are still, I guess, learning each other's quirks, I guess. And you've got four more weeks. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's four more weeks. Four more weeks. Well, and it is and it's kind of interesting watching our like our experience versus others. Um, like we Josh is another classmate of mine. He has a different surgery surgeon from the same practice and his schedule was completely different and what he's required to do. Like we we're required to know our patients and require required to know as much about them that we could basically just recite things off memory and we have to, that means we have to have access to the medical record system. We have to be on top of who's in the hospital, who's not, what surgeries we're doing. Whereas Josh doesn't do any of that, but he is very involved in seeing patients in clinic. He's very involved in other, and he gets kind of pimped constantly during his surgeries. So Josh is doing other things. Like he's got a very different lifestyle than we do, and there's others that. I think they have a little bit more relaxed, but they do notes. Uh, so everyone's kind of got a different flavor when it comes to the surgeon. I think one, Jonathan, is with one of the other surgeons in the same practice, and he has to actually dictate the notes into the microphone. Oh. Which is actually, I think it's harder, to be honest, because when you type out a note, you can kind of think about as you go. You can pause for a second. How do I want to say that? How do I want to word this? How do I want to form this sentence? Whereas if you dictate it, you just have to say it and you have to say it quickly because you don't want to take up so much time. You know, I think somebody has to listen to your dictation and they probably don't want to be like, oh gosh, they're waiting. Oh, this is going to be like a three minute, (laughs) 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 like a huge pause here. They don't know what they're talking about. Like they they want a quick snappy note. So uh, we have definitely a different flavor of rotation. Uh, What? Matt is also on surgery. And Matt's he? with Dr. Naramardi. Uh, oh, okay. So, and that's also kind of interesting. Most of the surgeons go into the surgeon's lounge, but I don't think I've seen Naramardi or any of his students hardly ever. They might have different surgery days, though. Oh. They, we did get bumped by them this morning, though. That was annoying. He'll have a 7 o'clock surgery and get bumped. He got bumped twice. We ended up starting surgery at like 11. Yeah, that really stinks because, like, <laughs> we set the alarm for 4.30. We got up at 4.30 oh, this morning <laughs> and to the, be there on, on time. I didn't make coffee, and I was expecting breakfast to be in this physician's lounge, and it wasn't, and then I didn't have, this, didn't have the foresight enough to go, I should make my coffee here before I went to the surgeon's lounge. And the surgeon's lounge coffee maker, like, it has... It makes coffee, but you have to put your own creamer in it. I know that sounds really pathetic, but the one in the main physician's lounge, like you just tap mocha and it makes you a mocha. It's not not the best mocha I've ever had, but it's like it's it, it pass it's passable. 
but the one in the physician's lounge, you open the creamer and it's like completely gelatinized. That's disgusting. It's I, I dumped like two in my coffee and I was like watch them float to the surface. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no amount of stirring that's gonna get that vision out of my mind. <laughs> These two like gelatin cubes just floating there. I'm like, ah. And it, I, I was like, oh my gosh, are they supposed to be refrigerated? It said no refrigeration necessary. Just shake well. I'm like, it looked like milk that had gone bad. Anyway, uh, so I didn't drink any coffee today. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> Which explains why you were so jealous when I was going and getting coffee I know, myself. I get this alert on my phone. It's like, yes, yeah, Starbucks now has this balance. I'm like, oh, that's the surefire thing that Karen has added some money to the Starbucks card so she can get herself something to, to drink. Well deserved. Well hey, deserved. I, I have gotten I, up with you Early every I morning. legitimately was trying to figure out a way for you to drop off coffee, <laughs> <laughs> but I just couldn't. Like the timing, just I couldn't figure out. Like I offered, and the kids were so concerned. But wait, how's Daddy gonna get coffee? And I'm just like, he get his own dang coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh man, maybe I can talk to her, talk her into like driving to one of the side doors, and like I can jump out real quick and grab it. But it's like, oh. And it was during, like, one of the surgeries we got bumped for. We were sitting in on the surgery. It was somebody who, they did an endoscopy and ended up seeing a bunch of bleeding. And so they converted it into, the poor patient had basically, like, a, what's the word? Like, a gastric bypass procedure, essentially, done. I feel bad because, like, you know, if you wanted to lose weight, a lot of people kind of want to do the gastric bypass because then... You know, you lose weight. You lose a lot of weight quick, but it's like you kind of work up to that. You you go into it knowing that you're going to have these major diet changes and restrictions. And this person just went in for like, hey, I, I, I'm a little anemic and maybe there was some blood in the stool. And now it's, oh, you uh, had a gastric bypass because there was too much bleeding that we couldn't we couldn't get it to stop. So we had to cut it out. And now you have a gastric bypass. <laughs> like, congratulations, you can't eat and drink at the same time. Oh, I, don't, I don't know what the restrictions are going to be, but... Well, that's, I mean... That, from like, Two of my coworkers have that, had that, and yeah. they cannot drink and eat at the same time. Yeah. It's, unfortunately, it's one of the things about general surgery I've also noticed. You, you go in, like, we had a few that were like, oh, it's possible blockage... But we're just going to do a laparoscopic procedure to look around and see what's what. I mean, obviously with those, it's exploratory to some degree. And so you don't, you, you see something, you, you take care of it. And so you, and you always hope that it's just like you look around, and you don't see anything, you, you come back out. And the patient, you know, hopefully will just get better or whatever we thought it might be. It wasn't that. And it's just some sort of transient problem. But I think a couple of times we had to remove like small bowel obstructions. So we removed like, like a foot of small bowel. Because <laughs> the, the surgery that ended in the colostomy bag, that was an exploratory one, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a... Well, we had imaging that showed a perforation of the sigmoid. So it was like, we're pretty sure... Going into it, we labeled it exploratory. But when we talked to the patient, he was like, it's going to be exploratory because whatever we find, we have to deal with. But you're going to end up with a colostomy. Oh, okay, so he knew going in, or yeah, she, usually, I don't yeah, know. Who, yeah, you, you usually, because you have to, 
I guess with some of those perforations of all the inflammation and whatnot, you can't just like sew it back together and call it good. You have to like get a bag, and so you, you know, your your fecal matter goes into the bag for about two to three months while your your intestines heal up a little bit, and then and then you can reattach the the bowels and get kind of more of a normal, I guess, bowel movement like sort of thing. Not really sure how that works long term wise, but I always just say it must be weird not to poop for three months. I mean, what else? What are you gonna do in the bathroom for two, <laughs> an hour in the morning? Sorry, Karen. <laughs> That's where Eric goes to escape, and wifey's not very uh, happy I mean, about it. If, if I had a colostomy bag, like <laughs> no excuses. I know that would be the worst. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I love my kids. I love my wife. <laughs> the bathroom is not a sanctuary. <laughs> uh, uh, sometimes it is as a parent. <laughs> yes. But all in all, it's been a very busy week. We've been waking up around 4.30, and I think the latest Eric's been back is about 8. Yeah, I think yesterday was the latest. Yeah. Um, but it should be an interesting... Four and a half weeks until you switch over to ortho. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to keep an open mind again. You're learning a lot about things that you've never seen and like techniques and procedures that really we don't get taught in medical school. We get taught certain like bread and butter procedures like colonoscopies, kinda, but they don't really go into like detail. It's just like somebody will put a scope into the colon and look around. And they will find X, Y, or Z. But when you like fishing around someone's abdomen, like you, you, you're not taught that. Like you're not taught like okay, how are they going to resect chunks of intestine? I mean, you're just not taught it. So you're just learning so many things that you're just like, I, I have no idea what. I don't know how to orient myself in this situation. I don't know what to anticipate. And that's probably half the the frustrating bit. And so I'm trying to keep a bit of an open mind is the tendency to dislike what you don't know. And like, Oh, I hate feeling uncomfortable. I hate feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. I hate feeling like an idiot. And so maybe this isn't for me. I'm, I'm still pretty sure general surgery is not the route I want to go, but I'm still trying to be like, but this is a, an experience I'm not going to have, you know, any other time in my medical career possibly so like if if i don't if i go into the internal medicine route like i'm I'm probably not gonna do surgery too often i might do some kind of procedure but i'm probably not gonna be fishing around someone's someone's abdomen so should should try to get as much out of it at this point as i can try to learn as much as i can and my precept has been so far good about wanting us to observe and see as much as we can and i think if today was any indication of trying to get us to start sewing up and closing that he will slowly start graduating to us doing more procedures. I just think maybe today he was a little rushed wanting to be done. Yeah. Well, with getting pushed back several times, I imagine so. But on the study front, we have, I think seven, er, we, Eric has <laughs> about seven practice tests available to him for yeah. step two. Yep. So the plan is every Saturday, with the exception of the shelf exam week and the week that he's going to take step two, he will be taking a 
step two practice exam yeah. um, to get used to the timing and just kind that. of monitoring how how we're coming. Yeah. Um, and then he's still trying to get through um, his inky deck and the last bit of um, U-World questions that he has, and then he'll reset U-World so that he can... Just start doing start total doing, yeah. all subjects. So that is the study plan so far. Yeah, it's... It's we're, we're holding it together so far. It's not it's not pretty, but we're holding it together. <laughs> <laughs> so we apologize for being a little late this week. Um, it might happen with this surgery rotation. It seems, but we will try and be a little bit better about trying to get it trying to get it published by Wednesday. Yeah. So I hope you guys have a good week. You can listen to us on pretty much any podcast platform. Follow us on MedFamilyMD. And feel free to ask us any questions uh, through Instagram. All right. Have a good week.